inflation is only great if you're already rich. If you already have assets, if you already have a lot of assets that rise with inflation, then inflation seems like a wonderful thing for you. But for everybody else, it sucks. Hope you guys have a great day today. My name is Matthew Spazzini, and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzini Program. We talk about financial freedom and economics. If you guys are new to the show, first and foremost, I want to say thank you. And hey, if you guys are getting value out of the content that I'm producing here, then do me two favors. You know, first and foremost, make sure to go to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. If you're getting a lot of value for coming here every week, and if you just listen to a show that you like, make sure to go leave me a rating review. It really helps the show out. It helps me to get the show to be visible, right? It helps us to allow to get the show to be more visible by getting on the rankings. And the second thing is make sure to share. If you hear something that you like, you you hear something that you would like to share with other people, you think that they would get a lot out of it as well, then please make sure to share the show. Honestly, of all the things that I ask you guys to do, sharing the show is the most important thing. Look, I can't be here and, and doing the show. I can't do this without you guys. You guys are the primary driver of this show, right? If you guys really, really like the show, then one of the best ways to help support it and help me to keep the lights on around here and all that kind of stuff is to go and share it and help me get the word out that the show even exists. One of the the most difficult things about becoming a an entrepreneur, a business owner, whatever it is you're trying to do, if you're trying to sell a product or a service, one of the most important things that you that or one of the most difficult things that there is, is getting your name out there. You see, the problem is, is I always like to say that there's an infinite amount of demand out there for almost everything, right? You know, I always like to use the example, for those of you guys who live in America, or at least you are familiar with American sitcoms, there is one sitcom that was at the late 90s, early 2000s called Friends. Now, Friends was based in New York City, and well, anyways, there was this girl, right? She used to play in a coffee shop. Her name was Phoebe. She was horrible at music, just awful, really, really terrible. And they joked about it all the time. She thought she was great and nobody was ever honest enough to tell her. No one cared enough about her to tell her how bad she really was. You know, they just constantly lied to her and all this kind of stuff. And this was more or less the show. The show was not a great show of how to live your life. If I like to watch it merely because I, I find it hilarious of this is a very, very funny example of how not to live your life. That's how I view the show. 99% of the problems that these people have are problems that they themselves cause because of the lifestyle that they choose to live. And let's be honest, that's the truth. Well, anyways, with that stated, Phoebe you know, played in the coffee shop and she played a guitar and she was terrible, absolutely awful. However, okay, however, comma, it's funny because I still hold today that if Phoebe was to get out there and she was to produce YouTube videos and get her songs out there, record her, produce content, I actually have a feeling that there would be a following of people out there. There's an unlimited amount of demand. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to become a millionaire, but there is enough demand out there for everyone it, to, to varying degrees, right? So I, I actually hold that Phoebe, as terrible as she is, could probably find a following that, that actually liked her, her music and called it folksy and things like that. 
So with, I've always said that, that there's an unlimited amount of demand out there for everyone, right? You're not going to, not meaning that everyone's going to be super rich and wealthy, but at least there's enough demand out there to where everyone can have a following of some kind, to some, you know, different various degrees, right? Different varying degrees. And while I absolutely believe that, you know, deep down in my heart, the problem is, is you could have a really great product and if nobody knows about it, it's completely pointless. If you have no traffic, if you have no awareness of what you are doing, completely pointless. You cannot bring value to the world. You cannot lift other people's lives up and help them live the life that they want to live. You cannot benefit other people if they don't even know you exist. Well, it's the same thing with this show, right? You know, at one point I was doing the show and no one, I mean, literally no one, I was the only one listening to myself when I was editing the videos, right? I don't, I, I always listen to every episode afterwards just because I want to edit the videos. It is incredibly painful because I make a lot of mistakes and I, I just, well, at least I, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So I, I feel like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. When in reality, you guys probably may not notice it at all, or you may not care. But anyways, with that said, <laughs> Uh, at one point, there was nobody there. So I started sharing my content online. I started, you know, advertising it on other podcasts. Some of you may have even come from the Lions of Liberty. I advertise on the Lions of Liberty. It's a good, they got a great show there. Brian McWilliams, absolutely amazing guy. And he pitched my show. And, you know, it was absolutely awesome. And it was a great way to get my show out there. Now, how do we do this? How do we raise awareness? Well, one of those ways is of course, I'm doing my part, right? I'm advertising, I'm, you know, po posting content down on social media. But one of the ways that you guys can support me in this is sharing the show and helping me get it out there. Look, we've got a lot of ideas that I know a lot of you find valuable. Financial freedom, right? Con taking control of the source of your income and having mobile income. You care about Austrian economics, or at least you care about free markets. You care about libertarianism. Maybe I'm a monarchist and I talk about that from time to time. M many of you may not be in favor of monarchy. That's okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not dogmatic about it. I'm just saying I think it's a better system than democracy and republics, which I kind of view as being a soft form of socialism, communism, you know, because socialism, communism, fascism, they're all children of democracy and republicanism. It's, they are. They came out of those ideas. You didn't, you didn't have communism, socialism, fascism. That didn't come out of monarchy. No, 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 no. It didn't. But anyways, with that said, you don't have to agree with me on all that, right? This, this is my opinion. I'm not dogmatic about it. And I even openly admit that monarchy could be the best system in the world. Could also be the worst, right? It's not perfect. There is no system out there that's perfect. And while that's, but you might agree with me. And while that's a great thing to, to point out, if you do agree with me, that's awesome because not a lot of people do on the monarchy side. But with that said, it doesn't really matter because if you don't control the source of your, your income, you're not really truly free. And that's what we talk about here on the show. We talk about a lot of stuff, but that's really the core principle is helping people become financial free. Talking about my journey and uh, talking about the knowledge that I have. And then talking about Austrian economics, we talk about so much stuff, but financial freedom, which I like to call the, the liberty lifestyle, right? Trying to be as independent as you possibly can. It's very difficult to do. Trying to not rely on other people or other companies or things as much as is humanly possible. And it's difficult, right? Well, you're not going to be able to fully do it. You're going to have to have a community of individuals, which is why I very much like to stress the idea of community of people who are all, you know, culturally homogenous in that sense. But 
you know, coming together and living, either living in the same neighborhood or at least uniting on the internet or whatever. But we all need to have a community because we're, we're not going to be 100% independent and not need help from time to time. We all need help, right? But look, we talk about all these ideas, financial freedom, living the liberty lifestyle, Austrian economics, libertarianism. We talk about all this kind of stuff. If you're getting value out of any of it and you're loving it and you're coming here constantly, please share the show. Uh, Let other people know what you're enjoying. Let other people out there know that you guys are getting a lot of value here and maybe they will get value. The people you're sharing with will get value out of it as well. So that's why I ask you guys to do that. It's it's incredibly important. And, you know, I, I can't do it without you guys, right? You know, I'm trying to provide good, high quality value here, shows that are not only entertaining, but also informative. And, you know, I, I don't always do a perfect job at that, but, I, you know, I try. I try. And I'm, I'm do, I feel like I do a pretty good job. If you agree, then, you know, uh, please share the show. And, uh, you know, and if you decide to do that, I want to first and foremost, I just I want to say thank you. You guys are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for coming here every week and sharing the show. So before we hop into the, the topics at hand, we talked about inflation uh, just briefly in the intro. That kind of gives you guys a little snapshot of what the show is really going to be about. But before we do that, I wanted to first and foremost just say, you know, what's been going on in my life and in the life of Matthew. <laughs> Anyways, what's been going on in my life? I haven't been around for a while, and or at least a little bit. I, I did not produce a show last week. I produced a show the week before that, and then the week before that one, I did not produce. So I haven't been, and a lot of that has been do, due to the move, okay? So a lot of you out there, I don't want you to get the idea that Matthew's stopping the show. I'm not stopping the show, okay? Once a week is my promise to you, and that's what we're going to stick to. I do apologize that I, it's been a little spotty here and there, a little inconsistent. That's not going to be a normal thing. You know, the main reason is just it, my wife and I, we were moving, we were selling our house, everything was crazy. So we sold our home, which was absolutely insanity. I mean, it just really, the house sold before, within 24 hours of being on the market. How crazy was that? And well above asking price, well above. So the market's absolutely insane because, frankly, the house is not worth that, in my opinion. It just was not worth what they paid for. But I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not a bad house. It's a nice house. We improved it. But I don't, I don't think it was that much, that, that worth that much. But wh- whatever. That's not for me to decide. I don't exactly get to talk to the buyers, and I wouldn't really talk them out of buying it. It's not a terrible place. Just I think they overpay for it, frankly. But with that said, though, it was a very crazy process. It was absolutely insanity. We had, gosh, I think well over 20 showings in the first day, all right? Within a few hours, we had like seven or 10 showings, or no, I think it was maybe, maybe it was like 12. We had like 12 showings within the first few hours of being listed. Actually, no, it was pre-listing. It wasn't even listed officially like on Zillow and everything. It, It was just, it was crazy. So we got all that stuff taken care of. And then we had to go ahead and pack up and everything. We were already in the midst of packing. We had already packed up quite quite a lot, but we decided to pack up more. And then we had to clean up the house. And then, you know, we had to move into the new one, right? We had to hire movers. We had to unpack. We're still in the midst of unpacking. But for the most part, I'd say we're pretty much, we are comfortably unpacked. We still got boxes and places and uh, it's, it's a little annoying, I have to admit, but we're not, it's not that bad. We're, for the most part, we are finally more or less 
situated and comfortable at this time. Now, we still have a storage unit that we need to go and uh, and go ahead and uh, basically unload, but it's not like a full storage unit, so we could tackle that later. Anyways, and then right after I moved into our new place, my sister was also moving the, the, the following week. So I had to go and help her out. And it's just, and then my wife had to go on vacation. Well, not vacation. She went on a, I, I, I don't know why I keep saying that. It wasn't vacation. It was a work trip. She had to go to work. She had to go on a work trip for like uh, one day, which meant I had my daughter for two nights, for, for two whole days. Uh, well, one half day and another whole day, pretty much all by myself, which I take my, I take care of my daughter during the day anyways, but it's a little, it's a little crazy. You know, it was a little crazy. It was a bit more and I didn't get any work done. Right. I, I, nothing. And I don't know why. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I do this all the time. I complain about never having enough time to do work. And then finally, when I have the time, I choose to spend my time doing something different. How insane is that? I am causing a lot of the problems that, that I complain about all the time. You know, I mean, I, I, the reason I say that is because I, if you guys are considering starting a podcast or doing any kind of business, I just want you guys to know it is not as easy as many people make it look like. It's really a lot harder than what it looks you know, you got to record the episode. You got to edit the episode. Then you have to create thumbnails and you've got to create a title, a description. Some people don't bother with descriptions. There's a show that I like to watch uh, or, well, I, I like to listen to. It's a podcast. They don't do descriptions very often. They do like they post their links. I mean, like me, I got a lot of links in my in my uh, show notes. They do a lot of links and stuff. They don't really do any show description. They just do a title. And hey, if if you think that no one really cares or is reading the show notes and they're really more attracted by the title. Okay, cool. More power to you. But you got to do all that stuff. And then you have to go and get it out there on social media. You got to go publish it, right? You got not only just publish it on the website, but you got to go and get it out there. You got to share it with a lot of other people. You got to share it with your Facebook group. You got to share it with your, if you're on Twitter, your Twitter account, your Instagram, wherever, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, you have to share it. There's a lot of work that goes into it. There really is. It is not easy. And if you're taking care of a kid like I am full time, I'm taking care of my daughter. This is really just this and my trading is, is stuff that I'm more just this. This is really just more part time. You know, I'd like to do more episodes. I mean, at the start of it, I was actually doing two episodes a week. I actually didn't mind that. But I had to drop down to one episode a week and I still sometimes don't feel like I have enough time. Anyways, it's it's not easy. Right? I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not backbreaking work. I'm not out, you know, doing, uh, trying to do roofing in the dead heat of summer in Texas or, or working on roads or anything. I mean, I'm not ditch digger or anything like that. Look, I mean, hey, I've worked in, in, in warehouses before. Okay. I worked in a warehouse and it sucked. I had to work with ex convicts. It was not fun years and years and years ago. That was after graduating college, by the way. Apparently, my bachelor's degree only qualified me to work with ex-convicts and uh, basically in a warehouse that had no insulation of any kind. It was pretty much garbage. It was not fun. But let me be honest with you. All right. Now, granted, with a bachelor's degree, I might have been able to go and get into a call center, but it didn't really qualify me for anything. Your degree largely doesn't qualify you for anything. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. Now, it depends on what you're majoring, and I will say there are some things that I can understand, you know, people going and getting degrees, and okay, fine. There are some degrees where it makes sense, but you want to code? No, not really. You can go learn that for free. You want to be an accountant? 
Well, I think they require you to have one, so you, I guess you have to, but technically you can learn that information for a heck of a lot cheaper, not at college. You may not, you might be able to be an accountant without even needing to go to college. You want to be a doctor? Okay. You probably need to go to school for that. You want to be a secretary? Yeah, you don't really, I, I would not say you need to go to school for that. You know, and, and again, there are a lot of companies out there that they refuse to hire you if you have if you don't have a degree. Apparently, they got a stiff stick shoved up their rear end to the point that they feel like uh, you having a degree makes you a better and more intelligent person and qualifies you for the job. Well, you know what? The fact of the matter is lots of companies are changing their tune on that. Lots of companies are dropping that requirement. So that's a good thing. But anyways, I'm getting off on a tangent. So. Just to kind of uh, wrap this whole section up about what have, what have I been doing in my life, I'm back again. Well, I'm finally settled into the house, and yeah, and we're gonna continue to produce um, you know episodes every single week, just like we were doing before. So let's go ahead and get and get hop into the topics that I was gonna talk about because in reality, I want to keep these episodes short, like 30 to 45 minutes is the goal. You know, I usually go over that time, but hopefully, just keeping in that that range would be very helpful for editing. And just time on my hand it means I have more time to do backtesting and trading stuff and to spend time with my family, which is incredibly valuable for me. So let's, that being said, let's go ahead and hop into it. First and foremost, I wanted to talk about, before we talk about the inflation stuff, I wanted to actually talk about an article here from the fee, fee.org. The found, if you don't know what fee, who fee is or, or what they are, it's a, it's a, it's an organization, a nonprofit called the Foundation for Economic Education. It was an institution that was created to teach free market ideas and principles. There's a lot of Austrian economics in the ideas that they talk about. And it was established, I think, in 1946 or something around those lines. But anyways, there's an article on here. It was posted on uh, May 19th, so it was about 10 days ago. But it's called Texas just became the latest state to opt out of a broken federal welfare scheme, which is really, really cool. But basically, you know, it it it's talking about how they were paying people to not work. We all know what's that this was going on. They the federal government increased the benefits of unemployment for everyone across the entire nation. So not only were you getting benefits from your state because a lot of states have unemployment programs, yeah, you were also getting even more money from the federal government. Now, the amount of money has been reduced. You I mean, at the start of it, you got like an extra 600 bucks a month. But now it's really more that you're getting more around, I think, another 300 or so. It's still, but it's still enough to where you're subsidizing people to not work. And whatever you subsidize, you get more of. And that's the overarching message of, of what I wanted to talk about this article for. This, this is the reason. Because this is evidence that this is what's actually going on. So let's go ahead and hop into the article real quick. It is one, dis well, first of all, foremost, the, the guy who wrote it was Prad. Uh, was Brad Palumbo. He's a great writer at thefee.org. If you haven't l l read his articles, I highly encourage you to go do it. He also has a podcast, by the way, as well. So anyways, let's go ahead and hop into this article. One dysfunctional federal welfare program is contributing to a national lab labor shortage. Now we can add Texas to the increasingly long list of states opting out. The programming question is the federal government's pandemic expansion of unemployment benefits. At the start of the crisis, Congress expanded benefits to new categories of workers and added a federally financed supplement on top of existing state level unemployment benefits. 
This augmentation in place until September has perpetuated a system where most unemployed people can earn as much or almost as much by staying home as they can by returning to work. As the economy heats up again, this work disincentive is seriously hindering the labor market recovery. The average beneficiary is making the equivalent of $17.13 an hour on benefits. That just being the average, many in high-paying states like Massachusetts are earning even more. This leaves many unemployed Americans no incentive, actually a disincentive to go back to work even for jobs that pay $15 an hour or more. The result? Employers are reporting shortages of job applications, and millions of job openings remain unfilled across the country, all while tens of millions linger on unemployment benefits. Yeah, I, I and just to pause real quick, I know this is actually true because, frankly, I'm driving around. I'm in Texas, right? In North Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I can tell you right here and right now, there are job openings all over the place. Fast food restaurants, normal restaurants, retail stores. There is, hey, we're hiring signs everywhere, literally everywhere. And Texas is stopping this just like this is, uh, just like this is this article saying, but it's going to take time in order to, for that stuff to recover. And I don't think, I don't know if Texas actually like is stopping it right now or has already stopped it or is it, or is it's going to end in September? I think what they're saying here is it's going to end in September or something like that. But anyways, pretty crazy, right? So, I mean, so let's, so yeah, this is, this is legit. This isn't just conservatives fear-mongering and all that kind of stuff or, or, or libertarians whining, complaining about rate. No, this is actually true. The unintended consequences of every single thing government does is always prevalent, right? There's always an unintended consequence. Even if the vast majority of the benefits that come from a regulation, and sometimes there are some regulations that I hold at least that may actually benefit. I say you have to, you have to look and analyze every single one of them before you really can determine whether or not it it helps more than it hurts. In this case, it hurts more than it's helping. It's it's helping a small amount of people compared to the majority of people that it is hurting. Okay, let's get back into the article. While the Democrat-controlled Congress refuses to roll back the system or even acknowledge the existence of a problem, some states are taking matters into their own hands. More than 19 states, including Montana, Mississippi, Utah, and now Texas, are moving to decline the federal supplement and restore unemployment payouts in their states to normal levels. Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced his state's addition to the list on Monday, the largest state to do so thus far. The governor's decision comes as Texas is experiencing stubbornly high unemployment despite fully reopening its economy. Texas employers blame the ultra-generous payment benefits. The news out of Texas is heartening for anyone who believes our economy should reward work, not idle dependence. And the development bodes well for economic recovery, at least in these states. For those that choose to remain in a welfare state coma, the future looks less bright. Now, ladies and gentlemen, why do I want to talk about this subject? I mean, I wanted to talk about this, or not the subject, but this article, because it's a really, really bright sign, A, that, you know, states are nullifying what the federal government's doing. This is a great step in nullification. So I absolutely love that this is happening because I think that states need to take the powers back from the, that they've been basically giving to the federal government so that they don't have to basically take on responsibility and say, oh, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Look, politi- let's face it. Politicians are thieves and basically they're snakes and they want to make all this money off of taxpayer dollars, which is taxation and theft, right? So, you know, they want to make all this money off taxation and theft 
at the same time is not really providing you anything or taking the responsibility of anything. They don't want to take responsibility of stuff. They don't want you to know that, oh yeah, I was responsible for signing this law in 10 years ago that is now screwing up your life. They don't want you to know that because then the target gets painted on the back of their head. They want to create a law and they want to get obtain as much power, influence, and as much money as they possibly can for their lives. They want to do this as much as possible before they and you know while they're in in government. And they do this by signing laws that they're that people lobby to them to sign laws. They give them money under the table or above the table. Doesn't really matter. They they contribute money to their campaign contributions, which by the way they get to pocket quite a bit. A huge percentage of the money they get donated goes directly into their pockets at the end of the campaign. Any money that doesn't actually get used. And they do this because they're pursuing their own self-interest, but their self-interests are not aligned with ours. They're never aligned with anyone who is actually subservient to the state, which I would say we unfortunately all are, right? Now, many of you are like, I'm not subservient to anyone. What are you saying, Matthew? Look, think of it this way. You still have to pay taxes. Your labor is not fully yours because you have to pay taxes. What happens if you start to avoid them? You get thrown in jail. A gun gets effectively pointed at your head. You have to pay taxes on your house. You got a property, you got a home. I was a homeowner. I know I'm a renter now. I still have to pay those taxes, right? Those taxes get passed on to the tenants. And But even if you're a homeowner, you have to pay taxes. Guess what happens if you don't? The, the city can put a lien, a, a, a right of ownership on your property. They didn't buy the property. What right do they have? Oh, you didn't pay the money that we're leeching off of you in the first place. Right? So while politicians are doing, pursuing their own self-interest, their self-interests are directly not aligned with us. They are directly opposing us. Right? So it's really no wonder, and, and on top of that, when they sign in laws, most of the time they're not around for it, so they don't care. What laws they sign. They don't care. They're not incentivized to care. They're not, they have no skin in the game. They have absolutely, they just, they don't care, right? They get special privileges. They are part of the ruling class. They don't care about you. They don't care about any of the laws they sign in. And they allow these big greedy corporations to sign in regulations that, that benefit the company at the expense of everybody else. And the reason they don't care is they're not around for when it all goes bad. They have a very, very short time horizon with regards to their career. They're incentivized to leech from the system as much as possible. They're not incentivized to care about the consequences that fall on you and I. So it's really not surprising that this kind of stuff happens all the time. But this the reason I want to talk about it is because these unemployment benefits may sound nice and good may may might make you feel like warm and fuzzy inside oh we're helping the poor we're helping the the poor people that we have by the way ruined the lives of because we were the ones that locked everything down we were the ones that made life difficult for them well actually the federal government didn't lock down the entire nation that was left up to the states but it doesn't matter right it doesn't matter governments in general screwed over the people and then now they're coming and saying, oh, by the, oh, don't worry, I'll give you some money. We'll give you money. We'll help you out. We're, we're, we, we care about the little guy. We're, we'll help you. Oh, by the way, I'm going to give you the money that I've been stealing from you this whole time. I didn't, and you know what? The amount of money you're going to get, it's a paltry sum compared to what I'm stealing from you. So I'm over here reaching into your pocket, stealing your wallet, 
At the same time, I'm handing you money in my right hand. So the left hand is stealing from you, reaching in your pocket, stealing that wallet, while the right hand's handing you money. So you're so happy about the money that's being handed to you, you didn't realize your, po- your, your wallet with your debit card, your credit card, your, if you're cash, if you have cash, is being stolen out from under you. Right under your nose. That's effectively what's going on. Right? And this, this makes me mad because what have we, what have we said on the show many times? And I'm not the one who originated the saying. I don't know who said it, who created it. I think it was Thomas Sowell, possibly, but I could be wrong. But I think it was Thomas Sowell. Whatever we tax, we get less of. Whatever we subsidize, we get more of. Time and time again, when you look at history, you can see this is the case. You tax cigarettes and alcohol, we get less of it, right? If you subsidize it, you're going to get more people consuming it. Well, let's look at the facts. If you subsidize people to stay at home, to sit on their butts and do nothing, you're going to get more and more people doing it. Now, is it going to be the vast majority of people in the country? No, it's not. But it's you're going to get more whatever you sub if you subsidize laziness and poor behavior and poor manners, which is what welfare does. All forms of welfare, that's what they subsidize it for. I know that that wasn't the original intention of welfare, but that's what welfare does. And all of this is welfare. It encourages, it incentivizes poor behavior, poor morals, and laziness. So that's what you're going to get. You're going to get a lot of people who don't want to work. I don't want to go work my crappy job at Wendy's. Why would I go work at Wendy's? Or fill in the blank, whatever fast food or retail store, why would I I want to go to work there? You know, A, there's the fear of COVID if they actually care, if they actually believe all that garbage. But, you know, and look, there are some people who might be affected by COVID. You know, I've always said that for the vast majority of people, it's not a problem. I still hold to that statement today. I had one person on Twitter. Um, I, I don't know if they, I, they said they listened to an episode and they said that their grandparents had died in a, you know, a, a nursing home and they didn't get to go see their, their parent, their grandparent when they passed away. And um, they basically said, why would you say that this isn't a problem for people? It's like, you say you listen to the episode, right? And I, I didn't even bother to respond. So it's not, it's not worth responding. I could see a bait, all right. And if you're listening to me, I translated that as a bait, all right. If you were the one that sent me that message, I blocked you, and I'm not unblocking you. Clearly, you didn't listen to the episode, right? Clearly, you didn't listen to it, or perhaps I might have misspoke in that one particular moment. And this was a while ago, but um, yeah. I'm not, you, you didn't listen to it and you're just trying to bait me into an argument. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bite. You think I'm going to bite that? I wasn't born yesterday. You don't feed the trolls on the internet. And if you sent me that message, yeah, you're a troll. You know, that's what I think. That's what I think you were doing because, uh, you were trying to make me seem like I'm immoral. Like I don't care. Like I'm heartless. I'm not heartless. All I've said this over and over and over again, that for the vast majority of people, Not everyone, but the vast majority of people. COVID is not a problem. It is just a bad cold, ladies and gentlemen. Pinpoint to me one example in history where we have ever locked down because of a stupid virus. A virus that, frankly, I think was created out of a lab in Wuhan. All right, I I subscribe to that theory. I think it was created, and I wouldn't at all be surprised if they let it loose on purpose. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, nobody knows, right? It's speculation. I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. There's been tons of, of 
evidence that has come out of like you know globalist organizations or or at least think tanks that are effectively funded by globalist people who were have been studying the effects of how how would a, a virus help us to reshape the world and stuff of this nature years before all this stuff started happening coincidence you know i, I no I, I don't think so i don't think so yeah you might think i'm crazy call me conspiracy theorist well, i don't care you don't like it don't listen Right? There's tons of other shows out there. You don't have to listen to mine. Okay? So you don't like it. You don't like my opinions. Why are you suffering and uh, putting yourself through the, 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 the emotional turmoil of listening to me? Right? You don't like it? Go somewhere else. For those of you who do, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but that is something. It's an idea. I think it's plausible. I don't know, but I think it's plausible. But with that stated, though, I mean, look, I've said this time and time again. COVID is not a problem for the vast majority of people. Are there people out there that it is a problem for? Yes. Okay. People who are very, very old, but at the same time, a lot of those people that COVID's a problem for, the flu is equally the same kind of problem. They're just as susceptible to the flu. The flu could just as easily have done what COVID did. Okay. Or fill in the blank. A lot of other different types of sicknesses are just, they're just as susceptible to them as well. Just because they're susceptible to COVID does not mean they're not susceptible to every other thing that we have out there that we don't lock down for. I've always opposed lockdowns. Lockdowns were insanity. Never justified. It's just this one big massive power grab. And I, yeah, very much under the opinion that they caused the problem. They created the problem only so that they could have a power grab. Am I right? I don't know. I don't know if they actually caused it on purpose or by accident. I don't really care. The fact of the matter is they saw it as an opportunity to have a power grab. But that's not the point. Let's get back to what we were talking about with regards to this article. Yes, there are some people who have been hurt by this. But look, if the, the there are people out there who are like, oh, I don't, I, I fear COVID. I don't want to go risking the, my life. Honestly, I don't think those people, the vast majority of them, I don't think they really believe that. I think that they just don't want to go to work because if you've ever worked in retail or fast food, they kind of suck. They're kind of crappy jobs, right? People are mean to you. They're rude to you. They don't even ask you how your day is going a lot of times. And why would you want to go back to work on that? If you can make the same amount of money, maybe a little less, but enough for you to live or maybe more by sitting at home, playing video games, playing on Robin Hood, investing in stocks and cryptos or whatever. If you can make money doing that, then why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? We're all interested in our, our own self-interest, right? We're all pursuing our own self-interest. If I can make money by sitting on my butt and do nothing, now for me, I would never be okay with that. I need to make something out of my life, right? I, there needs to be more than just money for me. But for a lot of other people who don't know what they want to do with their life, right? I mean, come on. Is it re of course they're going to do that. Whatever you subsidize, you get more of. And this is more of an example. Here's another example. The children's tax credit, or whatever it's called, that Biden signed into uh, into his new COVID relief bill not that long ago, that's going to give three hundred dollars to families who make uh, to married couples who filed together, that who make under one hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's going to give you three hundred dollars a month to the end of the year. Uh, I think it starts in July and it goes to the end of the year. Or maybe it's June. I don't remember. But it's going to, anyways, it's going to go to the end of the year. They're talking about continuing it for four years. And now some people are trying to get it to continue uh, permanent, to be a permanent thing. And they're going to give this money to anyone who has a child who's under the age of six years old. 
And then they're going to give 250 to people who have a child who's above that for each child. This is subsidization. What do you what are some unintended consequences? Well, right away, it's going to cause people to have more children. More children than they otherwise would have. It's going to cause a lot of families to have children who really have no right in having kids. They're really not interested in being parents. They're really not interested in having children. They just want the money. You don't think there are terrible people out there that do that? There are, and they do it all the time. They do it for welfare. You can enroll your kids in welfare. This is just going to, if you're going to add on more money that's given to you based off of children, you're going to have more children factories is what some people in a rather derogatory joke call them child factories. They pump out children so they can get them on welfare so that they can make the money while their kids uh, really don't have much. They give their, they buy their kids some nice things here and there, but really they're not parents. It's disgusting. We are incentivizing very poor behavior, horrible behavior, not caring about the consequences of their decisions. We incentivize that every day. I'm going to talk about a subject real quick, and then we're going to get into the other topic of inflation and all that. But uh, every day, with when when it comes to single parenthood, right? You know, if if we incentivize women to kick out their husbands or well, the fathers of their children, so that not only can they put their, so that they can can get child support from the man. The women almost exclusively win those court cases of who gets the kids, which is not always right. You know, women win nine times out of ten, for the most part, and they're incentivized to do it. Because, I mean, we are incentivizing divorce in this nation, incentivizing families to not be together, to not make it work. What would happen if we were to say, no, if you two decide to have a kid together, even if it's accidental, and all of a sudden uh, you decide that you can't make things work, guess what? You can't take that individual to court for more money. There is no amount of – you can't get any money out of that father or out of that mother. There's no child – you can't – no more child care. Guess what? You kick them out. You're on your own. Why don't you care about – why don't you focus on the consequences of your decisions? And not be subsidized for poor behavior. Maybe you'll think twice before you two hook up again. We are incentivizing poor behavior. And when we start to subsidize that kind of attitude, that kind of, I don't care, I want to live my life, I'll call, call it freedom, call it whatever the heck you want. When we are incentivizing this type of ill-mannered, poor behavior, we're just going to get more of it just going to get more of it. Society is going to have more and more broken families. Society is going to become more and more immoral. Society is going to suffer because we're ask, we're basically asking them to be terrible people. Now, maybe I shouldn't use are are people in that boat? Are they terrible people? Maybe I shouldn't use that term. They're not all terrible people. But if they if they're doing this intentionally, if they're doing it intentionally, having as many kids as they can just for welfare purposes, yeah, I think that's a terrible thing. And yeah, I would say that that's a terrible person. The kind of responsibility, ladies and gentlemen, of having a child is not something to take lightly. Let me tell you, it's not. I, I'm, in, I'm in the midst of trying to still figure my life out with my little girl, and I intend to have more. But you know what? It takes a lot of time. The vast majority of my time is spent taking care of my little girl. It is not something to take lightly.
But anyways, with that stated, whatever you subsidize, you get more of. Whatever you tax, you get less of. Let's go ahead and jump into the, this these articles on inflation. I got two for you. One from the Mises Institute. It's a Mises Wired by Doug French. And the other one is another one from Brad Palumbo by the Foundation for Economic Education. So for the first article, let's read the Brad Palumbo. We're already on the, the topic, or we're already reading from the Foundation for Economic Education, a feed.org. So let's go ahead and do it. We just got even more proof that inflation is on the rise. The most widely used metric for price inflation hit a 12-year high in mid-May, showing that prices had risen 4.2% over a year. But some argued this was just a one-off outlier, not indicative of a broader trend or serious problem stemming from runaway government spending and money printing. Their case just got a lot weaker. New figures released today by the Commerce Department offer even more corroboration that prices are seriously on the rise. Another key inflation metric, the Court Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, exceeded expectations and came in showing a 3.1% year-over-year increase in prices. If you factor in energy and food prices, the inflation figure rises to a whopping 3.6%. Uh, this is a tweet done by CNBC. A key U.S. inflation gauge rose 3.1% year-over-year, higher than expected. It also is worth noting that this index and others like it notoriously underestimate inflation. So where is this inflation coming from? Well, at least in part, it stems from the Federal Reserve's money printing to fund COVID-19 stimulus, quote-unquote stimulus, efforts. Nearly one quarter of the money in circulation has been created since January 2020, fee economist Peter Jacobson explains. But printing more money doesn't mean we actually have more stuff. And if more dollars chase the exact same goods, prices will rise. The problem with these inflation levels, which are still far short of truly catastrophic hyperinflation, is that they erode your savings and purchasing power. The money in your bank account are under your mattress is worth more, is worth less now. And unless your income has risen more than 3.3 to 4% this year, you've probably had a pay cut because what ultimately matters isn't the number on your pay stub, but what you can buy with that money. Simply put, public policy is all about trade-offs, and the downsides of government largesse include more than just the traditional check you write to the Internal Revenue Service when mounting price inflation erodes your paycheck. That, too, is a form of indirect taxation that you can trace back to Washington, D.C., and that's the end of the article. I thought that was a really, really great one. And yeah, I mean, let, let's face it. Taxation is also has been called a hidden tax, right? And that's why you know, a lot of people don't really even know what's happening. I mean, people know that it's happening in the sense that they understand that they're, they're not able to buy more, but they don't know what's causing that, right? If you're a product of a public education like the vast majority of people out there, you don't honestly understand why your money doesn't buy as much. This is why. Okay, the next article was uh, is from the Mises Institute, written by Doug French. It's called "Inflation is Great if You're Already Rich," and I've I've made this argument before. I'm going to make it again right after this art this article. The 4.2% consumer price index bounce for April sent a chill through some traders and financial commentators who had expected a tamer number like a 3.6 or 3.9% from last year's COVID price level air pocket. The market watch headline screamed, U.S. inflation soars in April to 13-year high CPI shows and reveals fresh stress on the economy. Barron's was slightly more relaxed. Surging inflation is hammering the stock market while it isn't time to panic just yet. Then there was the Nobel laureate Paul Krugman who tweeted, so the inflation report 
Rappaport wasn't a nothing burger, but it was sort of a White Castle slider. Not a very big deal. Yeah, Paul Krugman doesn't know much about economics, okay? I know he's a uh, Nobel laureate. I know he's an, an economic you know, professor. He's a PhD. Yeah, he doesn't know much about economics. Don't listen to the guy. He's jacked up. He's a, he's a Keynesian. And while there are some things that Keynes was not necessarily wrong on, he wasn't wrong on everything. He was wrong on the vast majority of stuff, okay? He just was. He also wasn't a very good economist. He was more in favor of uh, pleasing the people. He was a socialist, right? He even expressed a lot of socialist mentality, uh, sentiment and stuff. He, he wasn't someone you really want to look towards. He had some interesting insights, like animal spirits in the market, stuff like that. You know, I'm not saying he was 100% wrong, but anyways. We're getting off topic. Before the 4.2%, John Authors posted a piece on Bloomberg, markets give Powell a break. It may be trans transitory. It being CPI, transitory being a term Powell uses out often, aka don't worry, be happy, this too will pass. With all of this teeth gnashing over CPI and money supply, noblest Krugman offered what he calls... Krugman wonks out Return of the Monetary Cockroaches, where he says cockroach ideas, false beliefs that sometimes go away for a while but always come back. The false belief, according to him, is that increases in the supply of money leads to inflation, meaning price inflation. We must remember that Louis von Mises wrote, what people today call inflation is not actually inflation, i.e. the increase in the quantity of money and money substitutes, but the general rise in commodity prices and wage rates, which is the inevitable the inevitable consequence of inflation. This semantic innovation is by no means harmless. And it's by, I would add, it's by no means accidental. Okay. So while Chairman Powell claims to be adhering to the Fed's mandate of stable prices, stable prices is a world with the division of labor and technology running step by step like affirmed and Aladar in the 1978 Belmont stakes. Prices should be falling, making everyone, especially those at the bottom of the economic food chain, better off and richer. Tragically, Powell sees it another way. Reuters reported the Fed chair saying that low inflation hurts American businesses and households and constrains the Fed's ability to offset economic shock with easy monetary policy. Nothing could be further from the truth. Professor Georgito Holdman wrote in Deflation and Liberty, in a word, the dangers of deflation are chimerical, but its charms are very real. There's absolutely no reason to be concerned about the economic effects of deflation unless one equates the welfare of the nation with the welfare of its false elites. There are, by contrast, many reasons to be concerned about both the economic and political consequences of the only alternative to deflation, namely reinflation, which is, of course, nothing but inflation, pure and simple. Given the retirement of the Contra Krugman team of Tom Woods and Bob Murphy, I'm left to point out that what Krugman can't see must not be. Where's the hyperinflation, you zombies and monetary cockroaches, he would say. He said we cried wolf 10 years ago and are doing it again. Now he fingers the crypto crowd for the money printing panic. He claims to be patient, but those who seek escape from the government's currency and are arguing fiat money is doomed because the Fed won't stop running the printing press are wrong, he says, because nothing like that has happened in the U.S., but it has happened and is happening. Murray Rothbard explained, an increase in the money supply can only dilute the effectiveness of each existing mon money unit and therefore must be inflationary in the sense of raising prices beyond what they should have been otherwise. What they would have been otherwise being the key. 
where the where the Weimar Republic or recently Zimbabwe or today's Venezuela, sophisticated economies ripe with technology and the division of labor, creating efficiencies and pushing down prices? No. These governments printed money and their people had nowhere to escape the falling currency but buying up consumer goods, creating shortages, clearing shelves, and forcing up prices until their entire economies fell apart. Everyone has seen pictures of empty shelves in Venezuela. Meantime, the one-year return on the on the Caracas Stock Exchange is 1,804.92%, according to Bloomberg. Venezuela's well-to-do survive and possibly thrive while the poor starve. And for Nobel laureates and Fed chairmen, that's just fine. The U.S. has inflation. It benefits the rich at the expense of the poor. Inflation is the true opium of the people, and it is administrated to them by anti-capitalist governments and parties, wrote Mises. What Krugman can't see is that people are escaping the Fed's money creation by buying stocks, bonds, and real estate, crypto, NFTs, and who knows what else. While it may not be hyper yet, the Fed is providing an overdose of what Mises called true opium. Okay, and that's the end of the article. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're, we're over for the time for the show, but here's what I really wanted to, why I wanted to talk about this, okay? My uh, prediction was that what we'll probably get is prices... Well, first and foremost, I said I really didn't know what was going to happen, right? I did think that we would probably get some form of inflation, or at least some, I think that's what I said back then. It's, it's been a while. I don't remember 100% what I said. I think I said that we're probably going to get some form of inflation. It's probably not going to be hyperinflation. And a lot of the prices that are going up right now, a lot of that isn't actually inflation. It's just due to supply chain disruptions. Remember, there's a lot of supply chain disruption stuff that's going on right now. So that has a lot to do with the prices going up. But that, if it, if they, if it is true, if I'm right, and a lot of it is due to, uh, you know, supply chain disruptions, prices increasing, which again, that's not inflation. Inflation is the increase in the monetary supply, like this article, uh, very, very, expertly pointed out but if it is supply chain disruption it will go away over time right once the supply chains get back to a sense of normalcy once things start to correct and everything we everything will start to get back to a, a sense of nor, a, a normal right prices will eventually correct they will eventually go back however okay however comma if the prices rising are caused by inflation it will not go away okay it just won't it will be a permanent thing because they're going to continue to print more and more. That's that's the truth. So I think we, you know, and really, I, I, I said this on a show not that long ago. And I, I want, and the reason I, I really wanted to, to pinpoint this, this article was great because it says the only, it's basically saying the only people that benefit from inflation are the rich and the wealthy. Now, while the Federal Reserve says it's interested in creating a stable uh, currency and stuff like that, that's nothing short than a lie. The whole reason, and it used to be known, this is, this is what used to be well known by the people, uh, and it used to be believed by the Federal Reserve. Everyone used to view the Federal Reserve as a way, it's just a, a, a method for enriching the, already the rich and the wealthy, right? That's what it used to do. That, that's what how people used to view the Federal Reserve was it was an institution of the rich and the wealthy because they're the only ones that benefited from its activity, which is all the Federal, which is basically inflation, it creates more money, injects it into the economy. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the only reason the Federal Reserve exists. I don't care what they claim. I don't believe it. The only reason the Federal Reserve exists is to further enrich 
the rich and the wealthy, the politically connected, the captains of industry, the the ruling class. Okay, part of the oligarchy in America we talk about. We talk about we have a theocratically controlled oligarchy in America, right? The theocracy comes from your colleges, your universities, your scientists, your media. And the oligarchy is the big, fat, wealthy corporations that are all benefiting off of government restrictions on the on their persp- their on their respective markets and industries. And the fact of the matter is is that those big corporations get in bed with politicians and they're all ruling over us. They got a symbiotic relationship and they're all benefiting off of it. The only people who are not are us, you and me, everyday people. Inflation is never about fixing an economy. It's never about helping you. It's never about keeping anything stable. Inflation, there's only one reason for it. Okay, it's to pay the debts of bankrupt co- uh, governments, right? It's it's to pay those debts. They do that all the time. But again, those debts were were created because of low interest rates, and they were created so that they could buy assets with them. So even if you even when you look at it that, the only reason that anybody would engage in inflation is so that they can benefit off of it because they're rich and wealthy. They have stocks, they have bonds, they have real estate, and this money. Once it gets circulated, it'll find a home somewhere. And a lot of times it finds its home in assets. And those assets are going to rise in valuation. The price of those assets is going to rise. It's the only reason inflation exists is to benefit the rich and the wealthy and to make the rich richer and the poor poor. You see, we as humans knew this really well. A long time ago, before democracies and republics, you know, under a monarchy, monarchs attempted to do this as well. Okay, they were never able to do it at the scale, and many monarchs tried paper currencies, and they failed miserably. Because everybody knew what the purpose of a paper currency was, inflation. Everybody knew what the king was doing, or the queen. They knew what was happening. They were clipping coins. They were melting them down. They were giving them coins back that had cheaper metals in the coins, less valuable metal in the coin, while the king got to take up all the coins that had all the money. You see, a currency is not created, or at least we say should never be created by a government. A good currency is not created by a government. A good currency is created naturally. All right? It is. A good currency should be created naturally. Now, I'm not going to go off and say that currencies are never created by governments. Governments have created currencies. They just don't usually work out well. A good currency is one where no one controls it. And ultimately, it is one where it just create it, it was naturally created. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> monarchs used to do this all the time. They used to make, they used to print money or mint new coins, right? They would, like I just said, like I, I literally just said it, but just to reiterate, they used to take up the coins from their, their subjects. They used to melt those coins down. They used to, they kept them for themselves because those coins had the more valuable metals inside of them. And then they would remint new coins that had less valuable metal in them, right? And then they gave those out. 
it had the effect it was inflation they increased the supply of money they got to take in the, the the more valuable coins and they created less valuable coins not only did did they engage in this process and it, it was less valuable because of the money con the, the metal content underneath it was also less valuable because now there's just more of it the the, the king just collected more he could just created more or the queen or whoever Everybody, but when this happened back then, everybody knew, okay, everybody knew that the king was doing this just to enrich himself, to pay off his debts, to buy assets, whatever. Maybe pay for their his wars or hers if it was a queen. People knew that it did not benefit themselves, just like with taxation, right? When a king raised taxes, people knew that it didn't be, it wasn't for them. No, no, no. It was for the king. So people were hypersensitive to everything the freaking king did. If he engaged in, in inflation, they knew about it and they knew it was not for their benefit. If he engaged in taxation, they knew about it and they knew it was not for their benefit. Every time. And yet, democracies and republics go around and apparently that knowledge just goes out the window oh yeah taxations are they're providing me roads and they're providing me you know firefighters and and they're providing me you know uh you know police officers which everybody hates these days which you know you need someone to enforce laws or you know and I'm, look i'm not saying that all police officers are bad no it's not true i think we should privatize them I think we need to have privatized security forces that, that, that protect communities and things of that nature. I'm not saying that we don't need police officers, but I don't think we need nearly as many. You know, if the, freaking A, ladies and gentlemen, if we had people that, if we had privatized police forces protecting communities, protecting businesses, and we didn't use police officers, that would free them up to do other things. Maybe that would free up free the, up that labor for more investigation. Maybe they become investigators. I don't know that I think it should we should pursue a more free market option. And look, look, but even when you consider that all of those things, you know, they don't take as much taxes as public schools do. They take the bulk of your taxes. Public schools, and, and really, it's for the administration. The vast majority of money goes into the systems for their programs on the federal government level and on the local, you know, local city and state level. They got programs, welfare programs, things of that nature. Yeah, those take up a lot of money. Um, but yeah, w when it comes to education, that that's a huge thing. If I look on my property taxes when, when I was living, when, when I owned my own house, the bulk of the money was for public schools. And you, and you know what? The sad thing is the vast majority of the money doesn't even go to the schools. And that's another thing that people don't even understand. The vast majority of that money goes for the ruling elite inside the school system. You guess who that is? Administration. Doesn't go to hire more teachers. Doesn't go to provide a better school for your children. Better education. No, they're only interested in indoctrinating your kids, okay, to believe what they want them to believe, to view the state as their parent, as their ultimate guardian, and to view the state as being benevolent and above, you know, criticism and all that kind of stuff. That That's basically what they want. They're going to teach them history, but history from their side of it. They're only going to teach them the history from their side of belief, of way of thinking. They're not going to teach them you know, the other side, because history is always written by the winners. And they're clearly the winners. They're the ones that have the power. So they wrote it. 
and they're only going to make themselves look good and everybody else look bad. Ladies and gentlemen, inflation is not for your benefit in any capacity. It is only for the benefit of the rich and the wealthy. It is effectively stealing money from the poor and giving it to the rich. See, everybody talks about taxation and everybody, you always hear this on TV. Yeah, we need to tax the rich. We need to tax the rich. We need to tax the rich. Load of BS. You know what's actually happening? The vast majority of those rich and wealthy people, if they're rich and wealthy enough, they are avoiding the taxes entirely. They are avoiding the taxes. And in fact, they're stealing from the poor because they're benefiting from inflation. They've got the assets and all that money printing goes into the assets and devalues the money of the poor and the needy. We are all being screwed, ladies and gentlemen. And if you think that you can continue to live your life being employed by somebody else and living in one country and at least not diversifying where your what currency your money's in, what bank accounts, you know, what what national bank accounts your money is in with regards to like offshore banking and stuff like that. that's what that's why I said natural, probably a poor way of of saying it. But if you think that you are okay with just going through life the way that our parents taught us to go through, get a, go to college, get a job, get a good education. Be completely and wholly reliant on one country? You are woefully uneducated and naive. That world is gone. It never, it just is. Ladies and gentlemen, a lot of this stuff has been going on for a long time and it, it is peaking right now. It's, it's getting worse. Hopefully we'll have a, a, you know, a bit of a recede from this power grab and things will go back to a, a, a little bit of a sense of normalcy. But li- people are being canceled on social media. People are being canceled at their own jobs. People are being indoctrinated to feel guilty about white, about them being white, about the, the, the skin color they were born with. Can you imagine this insanity? This is evidence of a dying nation. It's not evidence of a growing nation, ladies and gentlemen. It just isn't. I'm sorry. All right. I, I, I really want to apologize. I'm sorry. I know that's not a, a happy message. I know that's not. That's depressing. It's depressing. You think I'm happy in telling you it? I'm depressed. And I have to see it every time. Every time I read these articles, you know, for the show or just because I enjoy reading them, frankly, uh, it, it's depressing. And honestly, I have to take a break from it a lot of times. Actually, this last couple of weeks, I actually had to do that. I was getting really, really depressed reading the articles, thinking the world is burning around. You know, once I stopped doing it, once I stopped reading the articles, I started feeling a lot better. I went for a couple of days not reading, not listening to podcasts. I felt actually pretty good. And I would highly encourage you guys to do the same. The only reason that I keep coming to it and the only reason I keep talking about this is because you, I really, really am trying to instill in you the need to control the source of your income, to start building a side income, to start controlling where your money is coming from so nobody can cancel you and nobody can hurt your way of life, or at least far less people can. It gives you more options. If you don't do that, you're entirely at the mercy of all this. You know, but look, there is hope. Okay. There is hope. Rise up and take action. Start educating, start yourself, start building your own human capital. You go to Skillshare. We've got an affiliate program with them. If you want to do that, if you want to help to financially uh, support the show, you know, just look at the affiliate programs down there, right? I'm not going to do a big affiliate program pitch. 
But yeah, you go to Skillshare, right? Go and if if you don't want to use Skillshare, go go find someone. Go get educated somehow. Okay? Just go do it. Find someone to teach you. You want to learn about trading, uh, particularly in the Forex market. I'll also be doing videos on options and a whole host of that stuff too, you know, in the future. Go check out my YouTube video or my YouTube channel. I've got tons of videos out there. Also, okay, I'm also going to be putting together a, a boot camp here. Uh, I, I don't know when I can't commit to a time to it, but I'm working on putting together a boot camp, the materials for that, and it'll be like a, a whole month. And basically, I'll, I'll be doing a training once a week for an entire month, and that training will probably be an hour, two hours long, and I will teach you the very foundations, the very basics, okay, the very foundations of trading, and that can be used in any market. I'm going to teach you how to create your own trading plan. I'm going to teach you how to come up with a trading plan. I'm going to teach you how to backtest the trading plan over historical data on markets so that you can prove your strategy works, and then... And, and, and then also not just prove it to, uh, for the sake of others. No, but to prove for to yourself. You see, we have to emotionally believe in the strategy because there are going to be times when, you know, you're losing money and you need to keep with it because you're about to come out of that losing phase. And anyways, I teach you how to do all that. I'm going to teach you how to read price charts. I'm going to teach you all the basics of stuff, right? What are indicators? What are mar like the different types of orders that are out there when you're talking about a, a broker and how, and how to conduct your orders and things of that nature? I'm going to show you that. I'm going to teach you that. Okay. And again, if you don't want to learn from me, go learn from somebody else. I don't care. Just go learn. Invest in your own human capital. Invest in, in rare and specialized skills. You need it. Your family needs it. Your life, your family depend on it. All right? Go do it. And then start taking control of the source of your income. Create a company. If you're a trader, you're an entrepreneur, that is a form of company, right? That is a form of a company. It is. You're a business owner if you are trading. Your trading strategies is effectively your business. You're not selling a product to some, or a service to somebody else. That's one of the benefits of trading. You don't have to sell a product or service to somebody else. You can if you want to. If you're really good at trading, you can sell your services. You could teach people. In fact, you could probably make more money by teaching it than you can actually make by doing it. But if you don't want to teach it, you don't have to. But that's just one example. Go blog if you're interested in video games. I mean, I'm, I like to play video games. I, I'm certainly, you know, uh, it's a, certainly a weak point of mine. I like video games. If, if you do too, you can make money by doing that. You know, start creating a brand around you playing video games and commenting on them and, you know, just being in that world, right? If you're into cars, talk about that. You can blog. You can vlog like on, you know, creating videos for YouTube. If you want to go the more traditional route, and you want to create a product and you want to sell it to people, start out online and eventually expand into a brick and mortar store. Now, I will say that if you do the brick and mortar stuff, you are not, I mean, I guess you could always outsource once you get big enough. You can hire managers and stuff to manage it while you live somewhere else, right? Like if you wanted to move to uh, Costa Rica or wherever, but you, know, you could do that, okay? But if you start off online, it's very low cost. Okay, you probably would have to invest in a, a, you know, your inventory or things of that nature, but you could go the more traditional route, but you don't have to. All right, there's a million and one ways to make money out there, ladies and gentlemen, you just need to find out which one suits you and your life and your personality. But before you do any of that, ask yourself this one quick question. Do you work so that you can live or do you live so that you can work?
the live to work mentality is very much of those type A people that don't have much in the way of family life. They they tend to destroy their families, assuming they have families at all. Maybe they don't settle down at all, but they, they love their job. So that's all they do. That's all they ever want to do. They don't really want to do anything else. Working is what gives them value in their in life. And then there's the other side of, of that coin. People like me, I think people like me are, it's, actually, I think that's the vast majority of people out there, but people who work so that they can live. You know, we don't really always love our work. We, it doesn't matter what we're doing. Even if we enjoy it, it if we, if we got to do it to make money, it's just not as fun anymore, right? But it still needs to be done. You know, the, the, there's, there's a lot to be said for doing what you love. And I'm all for that. But there's always going to be things that you don't love that you have to do in order to do the things that you love, right? So, look, I'm the type of guy who works so that he can live. I work so that I can enjoy the nicer side of life. That's what I do. I'm not the type of guy who lives and breathes his job. Because I, I don't. Right? I like coming in and recording this stuff. I don't like editing it. I don't like promoting it on social media. I hate being on social media. I wish I could just outsource that to somebody else. I, I don't, I don't want to do it. I hate it, but I have to do it. Actually, I've been falling. I've been falling on doing that. With regards to social media, I haven't even been doing it that much, as not nearly as much as I should. You know, just uh, again, me moving and everything just has thrown me for a loop. So it's going to take me a bit to get back into the swing of it. But you know, you get the idea, though, right? You need to determine what kind of person you are, so that when you do set all this stuff up, you're going to set it up. Uh, in a way that's going to benefit the type of personality that you have when it comes to work and, and things of that nature. So it's a point to keep that in mind. You need to figure out who you are first and how you view work and stuff like that before you can, before you should go off and, you know, create your own stuff. Because you don't want to create a business that, that a lot makes you work even more than what you would have to work if you work for somebody else. You don't want to do that. I mean, that still might be better. You're still a bit more, you're a lot more autonomous than someone who has to work for somebody else, even though you have to put in more hours, but there's still benefits to that. But still, if you're not that type of person, you're just going to hate your job and you're, you're going to hate your company and you're not going to want to do it. And it, it, it's not going to make you happy. And uh, while we can't achieve happiness in absolutely everything, okay, we should try. We should try to achieve happiness, right? I mean, we can't, what I mean is that we can't always be happy all the time. Right, there's just going to be bad stuff that happens. We just got to learn how to deal with life. Sometimes just sucks, but there's a lot of great stuff about life too. It's not all burning. It's not all a dumpster fire. There's a lot of great things out there. There's a lot of opportunity. You know, if I control the source of my income and I made, oh, I don't know, ten thousand a month. If you made ten thousand a month, would you feel as negative about the world? Would you think the world was? A, as much of a dumpster fire, I th I know for me, I, I would probably view it a bit better because I would feel like, okay, making 10 grand a month, it's not that much money. It's only $120,000 a year, but hey, but hey, look, I can go and I can go live in a, another country if I want to. I have options the more money that I make. And, um, you know, as, as money problems stop becoming problems because I have more of it, you know, hey. Life gets a little better. Money doesn't buy happiness. Okay? But it's the type of lifestyle that money can allow you to live that can help you be happy. In reality, I think that really happiness is really more of a choice. Doesn't matter your life circumstances. You can choose to be happy if you want to. Even if you're in prison. 
you know, forced to sleep on rotting straw in Siberia in, you know, the, the cold winter, you know, basically you're kind of on death's door and you're living in misery. You can still choose to be happy. You can always, it's a choice that you can make. Now, I know that's a lot easier said than done. When I'm in the midst of not feeling happy, I, I don't know how to make myself feel happy. But I still believe that you can. I still believe there's a way. I just haven't figured it out how. So, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, with that said, we're way over the time. Uh, <laughs> of course, of course I am. So, anyways, hey. I really enjoyed this episode. Hope you guys did too. If you did, again, make sure to like and subscribe wherever you are. Make sure to share the show. I mean, if you really like the content, you really like this idea of financial freedom, living the liberty lifestyle, Austrian economics, libertarianism, all that kind of stuff. If you like this message and you think other people need to hear it, then please take the show and share it to them. You know, don't don't let me be the only chump that goes into those groups and shares the episodes. <laughs> you know, some of them don't even like self-promotion. But, you know, if you're enjoying it, go in there, you know, help me out. Share the show. And if you do, I want to tell you thank you so much. It's amazing that you that you do that. I mean, it it really is amazing. You guys, without you, my show wouldn't wouldn't exist. It really wouldn't. My show thrives because of the audience, because of you guys. And that that fills me up with a lot of joy and happiness. So thank you so much. So yeah, uh, but if if you like the show, make sure to go and share it. And also, if you if you want to help in another way, uh, go leave a rating review on iTunes. You know that's a great way. It's it really is helpful for the show. It helps me to get on the rankings, right? Because ultimately, the more reviews we get, the more I get on the rankings, and that makes me more visible, or at least it makes the show more visible to uh, to more people. So. It, it helps. It makes the show look good. So if you guys are loving this content, then please consider going and doing that. It, it helps the show out. And if you want to financially support us, we got a whole bunch of affiliate programs down in the description. We've got all kinds of things from, say, trading to, like I said, Skillshare. If you guys are interested in, you know, going and, and buying silver, you could go to Money Metals Exchange. You mentioned my name, Matthew Spazidi. It's in the name of the, the, the title of the show. Or the name of the show. If if you like that, mention my name, and we'll both get free silver coins on top of whatever purchase you make. And um, yeah, if you know, those are ways that you can support me. So, ladies and gentlemen, hey, look, thank you for coming, thank you for sharing the show, and thank you for coming and listening each and every week. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not gone. Just like I said before, just had a crazy crazy spot in my life with moving with a kid. It's the first time we were moving with with our child, so that that was pretty crazy. But yeah, so it, but things are getting back to normal, so the show will continue to resume. And uh, hey, thank you so much for showing up each and every week. You guys are awesome. Love each and every one of you guys. That's gonna be it for the episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.